On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, policeman on the payroll. He's got the DA on the, on the payroll. He's got the mayor on the payroll. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that, that, that's pretty big. And, and 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 you haven't heard anybody put that out in the news anywhere. Who was the mayor? Was Reardon? What was his first name? Richard Reardon. How long Probably was he mayor for? I don't know, about eight years, ten years, something like that. I don't know. He was he was a mayor for quite a while. But he there's a there's a uh, the photo that, according to Russ, was taken when uh, Reardon accepted the 50 Gs from Should paid Reardon 50 grand. Now, whether that was a campaign contribution at the time, uh, that's my understanding of how it was done. Man, Sergio, what have you got me into? <laughs> Well, I never wanted to be involved in any of this except for Russ, and he got me involved in a newspaper article, and, and then later on he got me the expert witness thing, but it was just like, what did you do, Sergio, when I started reading all this and learning about all this? This is not, not corruption. This is not, it's not about the, I mean, Biggie's thing was, Obviously, the the the, the East West and all that was all, all part of it, but but what it evolved into was federal level corruption. It's sad to think that in 2022, the answers to the killing of hip hop's biggest superstar is found buried inside sealed court records that only a handful of people know exist. It is equally as sad that when Phil Carson decided to go public as a decorated FBI agent and release information and his knowledge of who killed Biggie and why, that the LAPD wanted to not only shut down his investigation, but they wanted to ruin his career. So this audio documentary, this dissecting, of the legal document in each of these episodes is my last effort to show and tell you again who killed Biggie, why they covered it up, and more importantly, all the evidence that was locked away, all the evidence that is in the possession of homicide investigators. Anybody that has looked at this or listened to this podcast or has, has looked into this information, um, is blown away by it, and there's just nothing that's being followed up. And by following up, I mean holding the LAPD accountable. That's the part that, that's the part that frustrates me, is if you, you've, got, you've got Mac, you've got Perez, you've got Amir Muhammad, 
none of those people, if somebody's going to accuse me of orchestrating a murder or pulling a trigger and I'm not responsible, fucking A, am I gonna, am I gonna try to shut that down? Of course I'm going to. I don't just, I don't just like turn away. It's not like somebody tells me to fuck off and I just go, oh, you know, I just ignore them and life goes on. This is a little bit different, you know? And the fact that, that this stuff does not go away and they don't, they're, they don't recognize it or respond to it. LAPD doesn't recognize or respond to it. Nobody is. And I don't understand that. Sitting here recording these episodes, I can't say that I'm not angry, frustrated, in part shocked that the information and evidence continues to be ignored. The story has grabbed some attention, but Phil Carson and his information in these documents should be enough to reopen this case. The only hope is that at some point, someone inside LAPD's Robbery Homicide Division will get a conscious. Someone inside the district attorney's office, or even the U.S. attorney, will want to make a career and clear the conscience of the city of L.A. District attorneys are elected officials whose main responsibility is to pursue justice. That includes determining whether or not to prosecute someone suspected of breaking the law. They are among the most powerful officials, and because they are elected, they work for us. DAs control a majority of the decisions in our criminal legal system, impacting everyone across the state. They decide whether or not people are charged with a crime, and if so, whether they get a second chance. Now, back to page six of the document. The lawyers for the Wallace family write, the city certainly had an affirmative duty to at least supplement their discovery responses about evidence linking David Mack and Suge Knight to the murder of Wallace, and there is no indication of any kind they would have voluntarily done so if this court had agreed to immediately go to trial. This is important. The only conclusion to be drawn from this event and the known facts is that the city tried to dupe the court. They stopped discovery and they immediately wanted to proceed to trial so that the information could never be discovered. And I can't tell you enough how much abuse in terms of the legal system that the city was doing when they did this. We cannot allow this, this case to, uh, to actually come to fruition. So the first step, what do you do? You get rid of Russ Poole because he's going down the right track. Get rid of Russ Poole, try to ruin him, ruin his reputation. He ends up leaving, and then you know that whole story. And they go ahead and they, they do, I don't know if they did any more really investigation, but then they shut the case down and they can't make it because they know for a fact if they make this case, they are done. And it's like what I had mentioned to you before. It, it sucks, but it's the reality of it is is you got a 400-pound black rapper who is a crack dealer who's dead. Now, is it better to make that state unsolved and keep LAPD intact and all the task force that they're involved in 
and you've got Bratton, who's now this high-powered person that just came from New York Police Commission. Is it better to keep all that intact, or is it better to go ahead and make this case? I don't think it's far-fetched to say that a lot of cases don't get made because the, the, the fallout from it is, is far worse than leaving it unsolved. And that's why we're here 20 years later and it's still unsolved. And, you know, over time then, you know what, witnesses get killed or they die off or whatever. Things get muddied up. Their plan came, they, they, they played their cards perfectly. The one thing about the legal document that I have that is sealed is the document is exacting and it penetrates right to the facts. Starting on page six, the wording gets precise and the information contained herein is vital. First, they outline for over five years, the LAPD in the city of LA has defended the instant action based upon the express representation that no evidence existed to suggest that any Los Angeles Police Department employees was acting under the color of authority in regard to the murder of Christopher Wallace. Color of authority is a fancy word, but simply it means if David Mack and Rafael Perez were active as part of the LAPD and they were a part of the murder, that is color of authority. If an officer, whether it be federal, state, local, or tribal, is acting under their authority and asserts or invokes the power bestowed upon them to deprive any person of any right or privilege protected by the Constitution or the laws of the United States, that is a violation of federal criminal law. It must be proven that the subject took action or did not take action when he or she knew that was wrong and chose to do it anyway. I can't stress enough the timeline of this story and who knew what and when. On May 31st of 2002, the city of LA moved to dismiss the civil case brought by the Wallace family based upon the color of law defense, knowing full well that Rafael Perez had allegedly confessed involvement and that he was on duty the night of the murder. Color of law is another legal term, a nuance within the civil trial. It is defined as follows. What is color of law? The color of law is a legal term that refers to acting under the appearance of legal authority. The phrase, color of, in legal terminology, often means that something has a certain pretense or appearance. When something is done under color of law, it means that the activities are colored by a pretense of legal clout. In most instances, individuals who use this term are referring to its abuse. In its most basic definition, any official law enforcement activity is deemed to be done under the color of law. Law enforcement officials, for the most part, perform their daily duties in a legal manner. The term takes on a negative connotation when the activity is illegal. The amount of evidence that existed that traced the murder back to Mac, Perez, and Shug was overwhelming to anyone that saw it firsthand. That is what scared the LAPD and the city of Los Angeles. They were basically fucked. The city of LA misrepresented over and over, stating in legal filings 
there exists no evidence to indicate that Mac or the persons who murdered Wallace acted under the auspices, direction, command, instruction, and or control of the LAPD during Wallace's murder. Illegal nuance. I can honestly say, I don't know what the penalties are when lawyers lie, as they do it all the time. State, federal, city, it's obvious. A boatload of lawyers that worked for the LAPD in the city of LA lied to the judge, lied to the court, and lied to the taxpayers of the city of LA. Attorney misconduct is unethical or illegal conduct by an attorney. Attorney misconduct may include false or misleading statements, hiding evidence, and in some instances, failing to disclose all relevant facts. The advent of electronic record keeping and e-discovery has also resulted in a record number of attorney sanctions for a range of abuses from failure to produce to the leaking of sealed documents. Now on page 8 of the sealed records, it states that David Mack filed a motion. Now remember, David Mack was named as one of the plaintiffs along with the city of LA in the civil case. He asked the court to exclude evidence of or relating to his association with Rafael Perez. I don't know why. It's pretty well known at this point. To go further, he stated there was no evidence that connected Perez to the murder of Biggie. Rafael Perez, on the force he liked to be called Ray, was a former partner of David Max. They had been partners together in an undercover narcotics assignment. They had been involved uh, in an officer-involved shooting uh, in which uh, Perez had claimed Mack had saved his life. And that's when the name of Ray Perez and David Mack was connected, that they were good friends. So now that set off alarm uh, bells everywhere that, okay, what are these two guys up to? We honestly felt that Perez was involved in greater criminality and he could be the one who would lead us to even bigger fish so to speak did you did there come a time where you thought some of those bigger fish might be david mack and might be the other yes. you know, even even into death row records yes immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of song of solomon by the legendary pulitzer prize winning author tony morrison a mesmerizing coming of age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead, who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman too will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown, to the place of his family's origins. She introduces an entire cast of strivers and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale 
that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife need a scintillating night out every once in a while at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. The next piece of information I find equal parts bizarre and startling The city of L.A. had a joint defense agreement. In legal parlance, that meant it allowed both David Mack, the LAPD, and the city of L.A., who all share a common interest in defeating a mutual legal opponent, in this case, Biggie's mom and her lawyers, to freely share information with each other without worry of waiving the attorney-client privilege as to their communication. Let's break down why this marriage between the city of L.A. and David Mack is bizarre at best. Rafael Perez and David Mack, both connected to the Rampart scandal. And Mack made more headlines when he robbed a bank a few months after Biggie's death. There's evidence that all three, Perez, Mack and Muhammad, were at the Peterson Automotive Museum the night of the deadly shooting. But as the lead LAPD investigators on the original case started getting closer to proving that corrupt LAPD officers were involved in Vicky's killing, they were shut down. We know that uh, David Mack and Rafael Perez both work security in this uh, rap culture as it relates to some of these artists. But we have had death death row records, but we have no information, nor has any information come forward that would cause us to believe that either one of them are suspects. If in our continuing investigation, we uncover facts that we can prove, then we will continue moving forward to clear that case. But until then, uh, what we've seen so far is merely undocumented speculation that has not led to any significant leads. They had already had a major black eye from the Rampart scandal. They had a major black eye from the whole Rodney King issues, and they couldn't afford to take another hit. There's no doubt that David Mack was knee-deep in the LAPD Rampart police scandal. He made Rafael Perez look like a choir boy. To go further, it's pretty clear from the reporting in Dossier Season 1 
Perez was terrified by Mac, as were other people. I'll tell you, man, that guy, he's got the fucking devil in him. And he is, he is, he is a sociopath from the word go. And I can tell at that point, he wasn't going to give me a thing. He just wanted somebody to talk to now. Like it was eating him up, but at the same time, he was, he felt like he was like being able to play me and it's just, he was, he, he is the most, that guy's got the devil written all over him. And I thought at this point, I don't want this guy coming after me and killing me someday. When David Mack robbed a bank with a machine gun in broad daylight, he became a pariah from the LAPD. Mack took his prison sentence standing on his head, never talking or ratting on anyone else that robbed the bank with him to include Perez. Mack was never charged inside the Rampart scandal. He didn't have to. He was already going away for the bank robbery, and the powers that be didn't want additional shit on their shoes. Rafael Perez was the nice and neat bow of the Rampart scandal. But when it came time for the city and the police department to defend themselves from Biggie's mom and her civil suit, the city joined forces with David Mack in one of the more profound, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The one question that I think has always sort of fascinated me is do you think the media as a whole got the Rampart era story wrong? The media as a whole. Well, you gotta, you gotta look at it from this perspective. I don't even know probably 75% of what was said or broadcasted because I was incarcerated at that time. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I would say everything that I've seen Seemed like 78% of it was all hyperbolic. It was based on inferences, no facts and proof, so. Yeah. But I can't really say if they got it wrong. Because you're, you're not working from any context of having watched anything that was reported on it, etc. Because you were away. Exactly. All I saw was, you know, legal documents that I was privy to when the city got sued. And I was defending myself, so I read them, you know? Yeah. And, you know, all the things, allegations, this, that, blah, 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 you know? But I would say that, here's the funny thing, okay? Or I shouldn't say funny thing, sad thing. I mean, Rampart was isolated, but it was no different from Southeast or 77th Division, as far as probably all the violations, corruption, and all of that. So, you know, it was, I don't know, what's the word, systemic? I mean, you just, you come out, point out, they call it the Rampart Investigation, I guess that's where it started, but, oh, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot. It yeah. was systemic was like, through the LAPD, in a sense, right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. And my name was only in it because it was synonymous with Ray Perez, so... So when David Mack files his legal motion, the city joins him. When the city joined in this motion with David Mack to exclude any evidence about Rafael Perez, it is undisputed that at that time, 
the city did this, the city know they had concealed evidence that indicated Perez's involvement in the murder and that he was on duty that night. When Perez is telling you this stuff, does he tell you this all in in one like one story, or this comes out over the Absolutely. time that? Absolutely. And when he told me about Biggie, it took he told me that with in about this whole story in about maybe an hour and twenty minutes. Because I remember we we locked up after that. They called lockup, and then I can, I remember him looking at me kind of like you know weird when you know cause we was in the cell. And he was looking at me, you know, you know, the whole move, it was a serious move. You know, I'm listening to this dude's story, and I don't want to interrupt him, you know. And I don't want to keep asking him more, you know, because you're telling me about, I'm thinking to myself, this man's telling me about some murder and shit, about him killing Biggie, you know. And I know I was, if I did some shit like that, I wouldn't tell nobody. When we started this journey together, I had to stick to the evidence. And going back to that here again is some key information. On July 1st of 2005, the city and its council had in their possession the time book for Rafael Perez for the night of Biggie's murder. This time book was withheld by the city of LA when it should have been handed over under discovery rules. The city stated that this time book fell under attorney-client privilege, which sounds odd to me. City attorney Vincent Morella told the court on July 5th of 2005, and I quote, the state of my own knowledge concerning Rafael Perez's whereabouts on the date of the murder was only that I had been informed there were records which reflected that Perez, who worked out of the Rampart Division in the crash unit, was on duty on that date. The LAPD deals with another scandal. Jeffrey Kay of KCET Los Angeles reports. In one court hearing after another, prosecutors have made a series of stunning admissions about corruption in the Los Angeles Police Department. We have reason to believe that Officer Nino Durden testified falsely about the alleged narcotics transactions uh, and uh, that he witnessed and may have planted uh, rock cocaine on this defendant. Based upon our review, we are no longer uh, convinced in the or convinced as to the legitimacy of the conviction. And as such, Prosecutors are filing motions to free prisoners and overturn convictions, telling judges that in the mid to late 90s, an unknown number of LA officers lied, planted evidence, and framed suspects. Rafael Perez being on duty the night of Biggie's murder is one of the smaller pieces of evidence. And it goes to show that the city and their lawyers would stop at nothing to block the Wallace family from having a fair and just civil trial. They lied to the judge over and over, and they concealed reams of discovery material. So far, 32 cases have been thrown out. 11 officers have been relieved of duty. More are under investigation in a scandal that L.A. County District Attorney Gil Garcetti says is the most important case his office has handled in the 31 years he's been a prosecutor. A line police officer goes to the very heart, to the core of the criminal justice system. If you cannot trust your police officer, you don't have a case. You don't have a criminal justice system. 
The scandal now tearing at the criminal justice system was launched by the confessions of a former cop, Rafael Perez. Charged with stealing and selling eight pounds of cocaine in 1998, Perez has implicated himself and other officers in order to reduce a possible 14-year sentence, according to L.A. Police Chief Bernard Parks. On the criminal side, he's acknowledged that 57 cases involving 99 suspects are tainted either by perjured testimony, falsification of evidence, or probable cause. On page 10 of the sealed legal filing, that I keep referencing, there is bold type in the following description, hiding massive amounts of information that harmed plaintiffs on three different levels. It states the Wallace family discovered litigation abuse of keeping much information hidden from the plaintiffs, and that is relevant on three different and very distinct levels. The first level is that city of LA was just deceptive, plain and simple. And they were deceptive on purpose. This wasn't just sheer malfeasance. The sheer volume of withheld information produced since the mistrial reflect litigation abuse. However, the specific withheld information that will be listed shows that when the city of LA opposed other default motions by the Wallace family, they were sitting on a treasure trove of information and facts that they needed to bury. The second level of relevance is that when the city of LA attempted on May 23rd of 2006 to stop discovery regarding who had seen, read, or touched the recently produced Mac Perez internal affairs report the city knew that it would be discovered that in fact it had deceived both the court and the Wallace family in its written and oral arguments. So not only did they lie to the judge in person, they lied in documents when they wrote them. The city of LA claimed that Detective Steve Katz was the only person who knew about the concealed information regarding Kenneth Boagney. That's a joke. In truth, it appears that the key defendant representatives responsible for the defense of this case sat mutely in court as misrepresentations were made to the court urging the Boagney information was solely and innocently forgotten about by Katz. So that's really makes sense. You got Don Vincent, who we know visited Boagney at least three times. So the only person that knew about this information all of a sudden is Detective Steve Katz, again, a head scratcher. This is like pages and pages of documents and all of the things that somehow he lost or forgot about. That was his story. They were in this file were things that implicated LAPD officers in Biggie's murder. So um, you know, it was pretty obvious to the judge that this was not just an accident, and that was, you know, why the fine was so large. And, but the LAPD essentially took the position, and I, the person I'd really like to hear from about this, how he could possibly justify it, is William Bratton, who took over uh, the LAPD later, but he went along with the story that um, Katz had just, you know, forgotten about this stuff and was just an oversight and, you know, and the poor guy was you know, being crucified for what was just a you know, bit of carelessness. 
and they, they kept trying to sell that story and they never had to really explain it to anyone because, well, in large part because they you know, never held it to account by the media in Los Angeles or any of the other, uh, you know, any of the other institutions, you know, the U.S. Attorney's Office, District Attorney's Office, or any of the other people that could have gotten involved and taken a good look at this. The truth is simple, and in the next episode of The Dossier, I will start to run down the avalanche of facts and narrative that to this day just remains locked away, just like the document I am reading from. The very people in charge of defending this case and working with attorneys had their fingerprints all over this internal affairs report that resulted from the Boagney information and the court was intentionally deceived by the city of LA about this critical component of their opposition, which would have shown the actual extent of litigation abuse. The defendant not only knew about the material in Steve Katz's desk, it knew any investigation by LAPD's Internal Affairs Division was bogus. <laughs> 